Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 691. This week on Cars Yeah, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Cavalino Classic. This spectacular event takes place in West Palm Beach, Florida at the Breakers Resort. And it features Ferrari. There'll be vintage racing at Palm Beach Raceway, a jet party, a yacht hop, several concours, one at Mar-a-Lago and one at the Breakers. So if you're in Florida this weekend, come check it out. You can learn more at Cavallino.com. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Diego Rosenberg. Hey, Diego, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Hey, good morning. Yes, I am. All right. Great to have you here. Diego Rosenberg has been an automotive enthusiast his entire life, and it all started back with his father's 1967 Cougar. While he loves all cars, he's particularly fond of muscle cars, having lived close to the Carlisle and the Cecil County and Englishtown racetracks. Diego's the first-time author, and he teamed up with the publishers at CarTech Auto Books and Manuals and wrote this book called Selling the American Muscle Car. It's a book about the marketing of Detroit Iron in the 1960s and the 1970s. Diego's also the voice of the pure stock muscle car drag race in Michigan and a veteran of Hot Rod Magazine. And today, one lucky subscriber is going to win a copy of this very cool book, Compliments of Diego, and the publishers at CarTech. How cool is that? And I'll tell you at the end of our conversation how you can subscribe and get your name in that hat. So Diego, I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career and maybe a little bit about the book and of course your passion for cars? Uh, sure thing. Let's say, well, my dad has, my dad's not really a car guy, but he had this Cougar mm-hmm. and my first memory is pulling the headlight lever and trying to run to the front of the car to see the headlights flip up. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, they, they have those cool flip-up headlights. And the sequential taillights, too. Oh, even better. So, uh, but, you know, I was too young to be able to see the headlights flip. But, you know, I, I think when I was really young, I was fascinated with cars with the hidden headlights. I remember the car accident I was in with my dad. And, you oh. know, I, I know I know I was around two years old because I know the year he replaced, he replaced it with a 74 ah. uh, Volvo. Oh, so, bummer. Sorry about that. That's uh, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's all good. But uh, my parents were very nice as far as engendering my automotive enthusiasm. You mm-hmm. know, I, they bought me a few books when I was a kid. And, you know, we had with friends from France. They used to bring me these majorette models. You know, they're like oh. Hot Wheels, just a, oh, yeah. a French brand. And, uh-huh. you know, I... I developed an affinity for Citroen, and then our, our neighbors in 1976 moved from Williamsburg, uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, to uh, uh, Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, they were a Pontiac family. Their family owned a dealership in Elmer, New Jersey, and that's where I started developing a, an affinity for Pontiac. And then when I became a teenager, there was Carlisle and Atco Raceway and Cecil County and English Town and uh, those are all very nice. They definitely helped me learn a lot about cars. And then, you know, as an adult, I eventually found myself in Detroit, or at least Michigan, and then Detroit. And that helped too, because there's a lot of people involved in the hobby. 
you know, you just get to know a lot of people who were, uh, who were there, so yeah. to speak back yeah. in the day. And, uh, so many of my guests, uh, have childhood memories of cars and that's where it all started for them. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show here is this new book that you wrote. This is a first time book for you. And I've had many, many authors and journalists on the show. A lot of people, one of their dreams is to write a book about their passion. And that's something that you finally did. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that as we go through the questions and a lot more about it as we carry on. But first, as we continue on this road, your journey of life, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your success in your life. And it's a nice way to get those inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Diego, take the wheel. Sure thing. Well, my parents are originally from Argentina. They uh, they moved to the U.S. maybe seven years before I was born. So in my business card, I have a quote from Juan Manuel Fancio, but it, you know it's coincidence that my parents are from Argentina and I have a famous Argentinian race car driver. <laughs> but uh, but you know the quote pretty much is true in just about uh, everyone's life in some way. And it says, uh, "You need." I need reading glasses. I'm getting old. <laughs> you need great passion because everything you do with great pleasure, you do well. Mm. Yes. You know, I love that quote. I've heard that quote before. And of course, Fangio, Fangio, as you say it much better than I do. Yeah, he was such a fantastic driver. And of course, one of those gentleman drivers from back in the day. But how have you incorporated that great quote by him into what you do? Well, I mean, by training, I'm an advertising copywriter. Uh, you know, for those who aren't familiar with advertising, a copywriter is just someone who writes the copy in any type of marketing material. Uh, has nothing to do with like trademark, copyright, stuff like that. And after the recession, when I got laid off from my uh, copywriting job, I did a few odd jobs. I worked for the census. I even sold cars and that just evolved into doing some freelance writing for uh, some online websites. Mm. And that effort ended up leading to an opportunity to, uh, at Hot Rod Magazine as a, an associate online editor. Nice. So I was in some ways, I hit the big time. It was nice. Yes. I, yeah. I, I, I kind of put all my energies from something I was dissatisfied with aside of being laid off. And uh, I followed my passions. And this led to Hot Rod and the book deal eventually yeah you know this is a great story because it's uh, it tells those listeners out there and that's what cars yeah is all about is trying to figure out how to wrap your passion for cars and automobiles and bikes into your career and through those um uh, those writing efforts you did it landed you somewhere your efforts if you will and that's a great lesson for people just keep focusing on the area of passion you have find ways to do things in that area and eventually you'll get noticed people will pay attention to what you're doing and in your case, offered you a job. So that's very darn cool. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. Would you share a story that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about flipping those lights on your dad's Cougar, but is there a pivotal moment when you look back when you really realize that you were a car guy indeed? Hmm. Well, it's basically, it's it's, it's what got the, got the ball rolling, let's say, with Pontiac, because yes. Pontiacs, let's say, are a lot more accessible than Citroën. So... When our neighbors moved from Pennsylvania, Mr. Smith had a Dodge Challenger convertible, yellow wire wheel covers, power windows. That's what I remember. And now that he was part of a new family, because it was two families that just married each other after divorces and death, respectively, for the 
two parents. The next year, 1977, Mr. Smith, or let's say Dr. Smith, bought a, one of those new downsized Pontiacs. Uh, it was a Bonneville Brome four-door. Mm. Sure, I mean, everyone, everyone loves the 50s and 60s or even, you know, pre-war cars, but I, I think at the time, the downsized GM cars are pretty cool. And I remember it had rally two-wheel, you know, this Pontiac yeah. mag wheels. And I asked my mom, could we get that in our station wagon? My mom had a <laughs> uh, 72 Buick Estate wagon. Mm-hmm. I asked her to get those wheels for her car, and she said no, and I started crying. <laughs> I was five years old, but, you know, that pretty much was started it with Pontiac. It was just yeah. those wheels because, you know, as, as a kid, you see those spin and then due to, you know, I forget what it is about physics or whatever, you know, it looks like it's going backwards. Yes. So just, uh-huh. you know, all that. And I had a book, uh, a consumer guide book, eventually uh, cars of the 60s. And the other things in the book that I used to look at besides the styling was horsepower. I just saw, oh, this number's big. This must be good. And then there was also in the back, there was an appendix with production numbers and i kind of gravitated towards rarity so uh let's say uh i was interested in thunderbirds early on and you know there was the thunderbird sports roadster 1963 that was a really rare car especially compared with the 62 production uh trailed by a lot between the two years and you know uh, little things like that you know they they just exposed me to more things but overall you know out of the pontiac thing i think i started with a lot of uh what, you know, with all due respect to other people, what I call generic cars, like, you know, like, like the Thunderbird, whether it's two-seater or four-seater. These are things that I, I started liking in the beginning. And eventually, as I learned more about cars, I stopped having a strong interest in them. I mean, do I see one in the street? Do I have to linger? Yeah, sure. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, I just have uh, different, more sophisticated tastes. Again, not to say that Thunderbird fans or Anything like that are less sophisticated. It's just that uh, what I liked about cars became a lot more complicated overall. Well, we evolve and change through time as well. But uh, I think the favorite part of that story is crying when you're five years old because your mom won't put rally wheels on the station wagon. So, <laughs> and uh, you know, to her credit, she also didn't get those Buick mags when she ordered the car. But you know that. I was not alive then when she bought the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a, a mom's different versus a young boy's passion for cars. So, well, Diego, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you faced along the way. And, of course, the most important part of this question is what did it teach you? How did you overcome that situation? So uh, tell us about that time in your life and uh, tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum to move forward in your career. I spent about 10 years in the advertising industry. So, you know, I had a little bit of equity built up, but I just, I just wasn't interested in pursuing it. I mean, never mind the fact that there was a recession and there were a lot less jobs to try to pursue. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I haven't tried to pursue it since then, especially now after finishing the book, just because I decided to evolve and follow my passion. So in that case, the evolution still can continues like for example yeah i i got a job a hot rod but i also got laid off along with six thousand other people just because uh the business model needed to be um updated you right. know the, the the world of print is a lot different these days mm, so yes you know i i moved uh from brooklyn to la for this opportunity and then eight months later i find myself laid off it's 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 kind of a bummer <laughs> yeah major and, bummer you know i i pretty much landed on my feet by uh doing some freelance work for uh, gmauthority.com just 
news articles. And I, I did it for a while. And along the way, I got this book opportunity. Mm-hmm. And now that the book's done, how do I see myself as an automotive enthusiast? And how do I see myself earning a living following my passions? That's kind of where I'm at right now. And it's somewhat difficult because I've experienced some hiccups along the way with this evolution. And sure, the book is not a hiccup. It's an awesome opportunity. But at the same time, okay, now that the book's over, I have to start over again and figure out how I'm going to go from here. You know, this is a great story in the sense that there's lots of people out there that face these challenges, uh, either with job loss or they're having to pivot their career in some way so they can find a new direction for themselves. So what's a good takeaway from you? It sounds like you're still working through that process a bit, but uh, what are some things you might suggest to those folks out there that find themselves in a similar situation? Well, when I finished the book this summer when it was sent to the printer, I was kind of doing the shotgun approach and just applying for jobs that I was qualified for. Even if it was not automotive related, I was kind of like, you know what? I just need to find a job. I need to find a 401k. So I was just doing a shotgun approach and hoping that someone was bite, that someone would bite. And no one was biting. So I decided, you know what? I really need to focus on the car thing. This is who I am. These, this is what my passion is. And mm-hmm. it's going to be recognized by people. And when they, are, when they recognize it, they're going to reach out to me. The lesson I'm getting from that, which I think a lot of us know, and I knew before, but I just need a reminder, I think like a lot of us do, is that sometimes when you open yourself up to the universe, the universe will give back. It's not just about luck when you're looking for work. It's not about like the timing is right and you have the good, uh, the perfect qualifications for what they're looking for. It's, it's about building yourself up with the experience and eventually hits just keep on coming. And, you know, uh, a week ago, I had an in, a fourth interview at a major company to be a communications writer. And I know this is not something that just happened by luck. This is something because I just kept on building and building and building upon the experience of looking for work and following my passions. And let's say worst case scenario, even though, you know, I think positively and all that worst case scenario, I don't get this opportunity. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with what I have to offer them and what their needs are. So, okay, if this doesn't work, I still can push forward and eventually the universe will give back to me. I think persistence is a key there. Continuing to focus on what it is you really want to do, define what your passion is, work around that, and then pivot around that as well when opportunities come along. So uh, I wish you the best success there. Understand that situation that you're in. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love to share, have you share what I call a career aha moment. It's one of those times when you realize, ah, here's an opportunity for me. I'm going to go down this path and tell us the steps you took to turn that moment into a success. Well, I pro- probably the best way to explain that is how I ended up with uh, an opportunity, a hot rod. I didn't say this earlier, but when I was in college, I did a few internships during a semester. This was at the same time. One of them was at the Maury Povich Show mm. in New York City. <laughs> and the other one, I wrote a letter to a publisher in New Jersey called CSK Publishing, which published Muscle Cars Magazine, High Performance Mopar, High Performance Pontiac, Muscle Mustangs and fast forwards. I wrote a letter to them asking if I could be an intern. And of course, they were a small publishing company, had no provisions. And but they said, yeah, you know, maybe we can't pay you. But if you want to learn a little bit about this, we can do it. So I developed a relationship with some people that were working there at the time. Uh, The one I'm closest to is Jim Camposano, who 
during the recession, he was editor of Super Chevy magazine. So because of my relationship with him, let's say I had a, I was a fair weather freelance writer. Maybe I would do, let's say, on average, an article a year. I didn't really pursue it. If I found a cool car, I would call up the editors I knew and you know wherever they may be because CSK was broken up. They were bought out by another company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'd be like, hey, are you uh, interested in a car like this? I can try to take some pictures. Mm. For example, in college, I had to do an internship with a local company. I, I did RCA in Nashville. And I found out Waylon Jennings had one of the original General Lees. This is like 19, in the, in the mid-90s, before the Dukes of Hazard cars were found and fixed up and sold in auctions and all that. Sure. And I worked out a deal to try to, I went to his house, I took pictures, and it appeared in high-performance uh, high Mopar. But it's my relationship with James Camposano over the years that led to the opportunity of Hot Rod because he knew that there was an opening as an associate online editor. And I had a nice resume of having done articles online since the recession. Right. So they knew I was capable of writing. They knew that I was capable of uh, talking about facts and doing research. And they knew I was willing to move. It sounds like a good takeaway from this is maintaining those relationships with people. Is, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then finding opportunities and uh, good reasons to get back in touch with them and then opportunities pop up. How about Prodder's career moments? I would assume you've had some in your career. Is there one, though, that stands out for you? Uh, you know what? This is this may be somewhat of a strange answer, but I think it's just knowing, uh, just meeting the people that I've met along the way. You know, like, for example... I used to have posters of these cars on my wall in my bedroom. And, you know, there was two brothers, the Jensen brothers in Michigan. They had, like, the coolest Pontiacs ever. When I was traveling, I was moving back from Colorado to Jersey. And uh, along the way, I stopped by the Pure Stock Muscle Car Drag Race. I, had a, I bought an old 442 when I was 15. Mm-hmm. So I drove it, was driving it cross country and stopped by the Pure Stock Race. And I raced the, I unpacked my car, I raced it, packed it, and continued on to Jersey. <laughs> cool. And then I found myself uh, the next year in grad school in Michigan. So I called up uh, Dan, one of the brothers, and I said, "Hey, I'm in Michigan. I don't have my car, but I'd like to help you out in the event next year." And he said, "Well, why don't you announce?" And I had never done that, but I, I would say I'm probably a jack of all trades when it comes to Car, cars, I'm familiar with all the brands and can tell one year from the other. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just nice to have these people I looked up to as a kid, as shallow as it sounds, just because of the kind of car they had. And now I'm friends with them. I'm yeah. personal friends with them. And, you know, yeah. there's I, I've made a lot of friends over the years, and it's nice. And a lot of these relationships really helped out during the book. Absolutely. Well, it's cool. And that's, that's something that we always come back to here at Cars Jazz. Yeah, this show's about cars. Our, our passion is about cars, but it really is about the people around the cars. That's where it always, always goes back to in those wonderful relationships. Well, let's go back in time. You talk about that 442 you bought when you're 15, but it, was that your first really special car or is there another car that was really special for you? And maybe you could share a memory. That was my first special car, but I wanted a GTO Judge. And, you know, I was fine with any GTO, really. I know in Wilmington, there was a lady that always had GTOs. And I looked at 
one of them. It was a 65. It was an automatic. I eventually learned. I was 14 probably. I, I eventually figured out that a two-speed automatic is not as cool as a four-speed or, <laughs> yeah. you know, three-speeds didn't enter the equation at the time. I, you know, I wasn't so familiar with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought it was four-speed or automatic. But um, then there was a Ram Air 4 GTO in Newark, Delaware, and I told my dad, we got to check out this car. And my dad's not a car guy. But, and, but at that time, I, you know, I looked up the Ram Air 4, the rarity. You know, they made a bit over 700 that year. And that, that was a moment that clicked that told me that a Ram Air 4 regular GTO probably is a cooler car than a Ram Air 3 Judge, which is, you know, the standard engine for a Judge. Sure. You know, because I couldn't be very picky. You know, you buy the car, you know, as a kid, you think you're going to buy a car from the local classifieds. You don't think you're going to travel for anything. Never mind the fact that, you know, a 16-year-old probably shouldn't have any kind <laughs> yeah. of car like that. Yeah. yeah, so you know, I, I, maybe I'm getting old right now. <laughs> but um, the Ram Air Fourth fell through because my dad's not a car guy, and the, my dad's mechanic said, "Well, it's got all these wrong parts, and it's not running well," and which could also mean that you know, there's nothing wrong with not having original parts, and there's nothing wrong with a car not necessarily running well. Maybe it was just like a, uh, it was rebuilt in a very radical manner. So the guy, uh, my dad couldn't agree on price, and so the car, you know, that car went away, although I know where the car still is. I, I found the car accidentally a few years later, let's wow. say 10 years later. Then I guess the next car, cool car that popped up was a 7442 convertible, and I knew about Oldsmobiles because a family friend, the older brother, had a 442, and, and the mother had a 71 Cutlass, so it's like... He had magazines and was always talking about W30 this. And so I, I had a little bit of familiarity. Mm-hmm. So when I called this ad, I, I knew to ask, is it a W30? Even though it didn't say in the ad, I thought, well, you know, why not ask? And he said, yeah. So I looked at my book. Actually, Muscle Car Review had an article that month on the 442 W30. And it had the production figure. So I looked it up and it said 264 convertibles. And I'm like, Dad, we got to check out this car. <laughs> and that's what I ended up with. And, and in retrospect, I shouldn't have ended up with a car. It needed too much work for my abilities, among other things. And it, it sat around for a while. Yeah. It was kind of, uh, I guess the word is fortuitous. Did I pronounce that right? Fortuitous, fortuitous yes. <laughs> yeah. You see, this is the problem of being uh, the child of immigrant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes I get it wrong. It, it ended up being fortuitous because I ended up discovering or at least saving the pedigree that of the vehicle that could have been lost to posterity because the seller told me it was a pace car. And through research, I found out it was not an indie pace car replica mm-hmm. because it didn't have the code and the data plate and also because those weren't W30s. They were just regular 442s. Mm. Through research and let's say a title search and finding the original owner, I found out it was a pace car Dover Downs Raceway. And Kent County Motors said they had nothing on the car, no information, no nothing. And when the car was finally finished, let's say five years later, I drove down to Dover and found a sympathetic salesman. And six months later, I had paperwork that showed that my car was the pace car Dover Downs Raceway. Oh, no kidding. How cool is that? <laughs> Very nice. I like that story. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? Yeah, the the Oldsmobile. <laughs> oh, the same one. Yeah, I kept it from when I was fifteen until uh, this past August. Wow! And the reason why I let it go, there there are two reasons. Uh, I actually tried selling it when I got the job at Hot Rod. A lesson learned is that. 
putting a car in storage probably kills a car more than driving it. The car was my dad's place for a while in Arizona, and it was in Detroit beforehand. Mm-hmm. And you know, then I had it with me uh, when I moved to uh, Connecticut, let's say metropolitan New York City area. I had it back in my possession, but the car was tired and was getting more tired, especially when I moved to California, I didn't bring it with me. Mm-hmm. And the reason for selling it was because I had my fun with this car. It needed to go to a better home where someone could take care of it, bring it up to the level that it should be. I mean, like from 10 feet away, it was great. I, I went from Fairfield County, Connecticut to Sturbridge, Massachusetts for the old Nats and went back and forth and it ran like a top. It was great. But the car was tired and it it just I felt better for it to be in a good home rather than for me to hoard it. And plus plus with Hot Rod, I'm not the most mechanically inclined person. I thought, you know what, I'm working for this magazine. I'm gonna find a car and build it. These are things that I never did before because like, you know, I kinda had a bohemian existence. I've lived in a, lived in a bunch of different places and then I was in New York City and which is not very car friendly. So I never had these opportunities to do some of the things I should have done mechanically or with my hands. So that was the intention. Finally, this past year, I found the right buyer. It's someone with a a fledgling car collection. He has a lot of the creme de la creme, but he has like a a small collection Mm -hmm. and he's building and, you know, a restorer bought it on behalf of this gentleman. So it's going to be treated to the proper a proper restoration and it's going to be in number one condition and something better than whenever i ever had it there you go well let's talk about today and tomorrow and i'd love for you to share a little bit more about this book now to remind our listeners again this is a a book titled selling the american muscle car it's a book about marketing detroit iron in the 1960s and 70s it's a 190 pages it's 10 and a half inches square and it's filled with a lot of really cool old photos and advertisements and statistics so tell our listeners a little bit about this first publishing effort of yours why you wrote the book and a little bit about it well the book idea wasn't mine uh, i was approached by cartech with the idea and i thought well Hey, you know, I just got laid off a few months ago from Hot Rod. This is part of that stepping stone of following my passions. Why not? So uh, I talked with a few people that I that I knew had experience with these kind of endeavors, like Jim Camposano. And over the years, I've uh, I I met Marty Shore once at the New York Auto Show, and so it it was very nice. To, uh, he's a guy who was doing this back in the day. So sure. you know, I I had some people I could ask about this opportunity and about, you know, the contract. Is this kind of stuff normal? Is this something I should, I should I be wary about something? And, you know, they, they helped me with this. And I, I knew in the end that everything was legit and I just hopped on board. So then, you know, it's like, okay, now what, how, how do I, this idea that's been given to me, how do I imagine it? So, you know, that's something that evolved over time. You know, I, in the, early on, I had to have, I had developed an outline of mm-hmm. what the book was going to be about, be about, and I that evolved, and but you know it was it was just an adventure. You know, I I went because of the pure stock races in Michigan. I go there once a year. Then I um, spent a week in Detroit doing research at the Detroit Public Library, the GM Heritage Center, the Henry Ford Library, which uh, I th- it's actually not called the Henry Ford Library; it's something else. But, you know, it's in Greenfield Village, mm-hmm. all these things. And then, you know, I went to the McCacken show, the Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals in Chicago, which is an awesome muscle car show. 
All you need is the pure stock races in Michigan and McCacken and Chicago, and you don't need any other muscle car show. Those, those, <laughs> those are, I mean, it's like you'll you'll get your fill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What was one of the biggest challenges you faced when you're you were putting this book together? Uh, the biggest challenge by far is obtaining the rights to pictures because that's a financial cost that is incurred by the author. It's not incurred by the uh, publisher. Mm-hmm. So. What pictures do I want? And then how do I get them? Sure, I can get pictures from GM, Ford, and Chrysler, and they charge for that. But, you know, there are other pictures as well, you know, uh, from freelance uh, photographers. Uh, a lot of them I didn't know. I mean, some of them I knew, but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them I didn't know, and I had to meet them. Let's say we have with social media like Facebook, you get to meet a lot. Like uh, Richard Truesdell is a gentleman in uh, California who helped me a lot, and he's done several books. So and he gave me advice, and uh, Mark Fletcher co-wrote a Hearst book with him. So I, I was able to talk with both of them and get advice. But uh, but by far the um, photo rights thing. It's a great first effort. I know writing a book. A lot of people. I've had a lot of people on the show. Richard Truesdale, you mentioned he's been a guest here on Cars. Yeah, and everyone has said the same thing that when they undertake writing a book, they had no idea the amount of work that goes into it. So kudos to you for what you've created. Uh, fantastic you. book. Great fun. Great walk through history. Now here's a very introspective question, Diego. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be, and why? Gosh, uh, that may change every day. You know, I I, I never had a GTO Judge. So that I still have a soft spot for that, but you know my my tastes have evolved also. So it's like, yeah, I I'd love a like '69 Dodge Coronet RT convertible Ram Charger hood, side scoops, console four speed with that pretzel shifter. I think that's a cool car. Um, but I think these days I've started developing an affinity for coach built cars of the '50s, which usually are Italian and. I think one of the most awesome is a Fiat 8V Supersonic by Ghia. Ah, okay. Well, in the end, I'm an enthusiast, and I have eyes. I have, I've, I've worked in a creative environment with copywriting. My mom is an architect. Both houses I grew up in, she designed. Mm. So I, I, I think that I do have an appreciation for aesthetics in that manner, even though I, let's say I can't draw my sensibility with things like that is pretty poor, but, you know, ask me, would I rather have this font or that font? I can give you an answer and argue why, or mm-hmm. this color or that color. So I, I think I have an understanding of some elements of design. And although I'm, I would say I'm still a layman or layperson, as they say these days, but, you know, it's just the idea that there are these designers out there taking a risk, trying to push the envelope of uh, what could be. I, I, I do enjoy that. I, I, I do enjoy custom-bodied luxury cars of the 30s, sure. especially when, uh, especially when uh, streamlining and all that Art Deco was coming into play, let's say, starting in 1933. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of those things are nice. And wh- whether it's a one-off car or they made a whole bunch, let's say like – a Maserati 5000 GT, you know, you have the same car with, let's say they made 34, I don't know, it's something small like that. You have the same car with different bodies. Mm. You know, there's probably like seven different designs that were put on that chassis. And it's like to see the vision of each designer and what they came up with is kind of neat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some wonderful things built in. 
Well, Diego, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Driving never meant more as the all-new driving adventure awaits you with a not-for-profit drive toward a cure. Combines two spirited drives for a weekend of cars and camaraderie in Paso Robles, California. All to support finding a cure for Parkinson's disease. In a showcase of ribbon roads in California of chrome and elegance, coming up this April 28th. Enjoy some of the nicest cars, people, drives, wine tasting, and luxury receptions while driving towards a cure for Parkinson's. To register or donate, click on drivetowardacure.com or check out Cars Yeah! guest Deb Pollock's show notes page where there's links to Drive Toward a Cure. Donate today, or better yet, go for the drive. Okay, Diego, we are back and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Probably uh, don't stop learning. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Important in all aspects of life, absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your success? Writing. You know, just, just, just write, just sit in front of the computer and write. I've heard the same from uh, people who are painters and artists and whatever, just do what you want to do. Now, how about a resource? I know there's lots of great resources out there, but is there one or two you could recommend? I will tell you a good automotive resource that I used. The Automotive History Preservation Society has a really nice library for research. It, It helped me a lot. And then also the GM. Uh, Heritage Center. It's it's not open to the public, but the ki- the level of information they have for GM brands is unbelievable. Wow, great resources. Now, Diego, how about a book other than this new book that you just wrote, Selling the American Muscle Car? Is there another book that you could re- recommend to our listeners? I like production figures. That's my thing. I've always been keen to that, and I try to collect obscure information. And there's this gentleman in Florida named Daryl Davis who has gone into Chrysler's record, you know, like looking in microfilm and compiled a lot of uh, Max Wedge information that's never been published before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, self, he self-publishes the books. He's out of Florida. It's just really difficult to get a lot of this information. A lot of, you know, the GM Heritage Center, for example – a lot of things are missing and they've been stolen over the years. They've been moved to a different building and things get lost or they get thrown away over time because, I mean, not so much now, but, you know, GM is in the business of making new cars, not dealing with old paperwork. So, you know, if you're a Mopar guy, his books are really great. The last book I bought was written by, uh, what's his name? I'm sorry, I forgot. Uh, it's the gentleman on Jay Leno's show with uh, with the bow tie. Donald Osborne? 
Yeah, he has this book called Transatlantic Style, and it's basically about the symbiotic relationship between the designers in Detroit and the coach builders in Italy. I'm very, very aware of that because Donald was a guest. Actually, he's been on the show twice now, and the last time he was on the show was just a few weeks ago, and we talked about that book. In fact, we even gave one of those books away to one of our lucky subscribers. So yeah, Donald's a longtime friend, and uh, it's a fantastic book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listeners can go back and listen to that show and hear all about how that book came to be and how it all came together. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources Diego shared on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash Diego Rosenberg. And there's another great place on the Carsyad website called Guest Recommended Books where uh, Diego's book and Donald's book and books recommended by the past 690 guests are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. It's an awesome resource for uh, those who love reading books. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. If you could have only one very cool collector car in your garage, money's no object, though, so you can have whatever you want today. What would that be and why? Well, I, it goes back to, like, what is it going to be tomorrow? What was it yesterday? <laughs> well, what is it today? So uh, the car I would choose is a car I used to see in car books as a kid, and over time I've seen it on occasion online. It's probably a one-off. It's a 1956 Ferrari 410 Superfast styled by or designed, let's say, by Pininfarina. Ah, yes. <laughs> and it is in the, uh, Mr. Osborne's book that I mentioned earlier. That's why the car is fresh in my mind. And it's just a car that perfectly captures the best of what was going on in Detroit and Italy, combined with this exotic V12 engine. Mm -hmm. It's it's just an awesome car. Yeah, yeah. You know, that car is is really, really, really unique. I saw that car on the lawn at Pebble Beach years back. And what was interesting and what Donald brought up in his book about that is the combination of U.S. design with Italian design and Paninfarina coach work and how these all things work together. I mean, you looked at if you look at the car and if you look it up online, you'll see what I'm talking about. It has 1950s fins on the back, and you think, "What a Ferrari with fins? So who is what were they thinking?" But it's how all those things crossed over the pond, if you will, and influenced each other and oh my goodness diego you're gonna cost me a pretty penny that car's gonna cost a fortune yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and it's not and it's not the only ferrari with fins or even like not the only 50s italian coach built car with fins sure. but this one called comes off just right a lot of the other ones are just uh you know they, they're trying for something and they just hasn't aged well that they weren't very successful but yeah. I, I remember there's a red one in collectible automobile from years ago that looks like a chrysler show car yeah yeah exactly it, it was probably it was probably designed by gia and from the back it looks awesome but from the front it looks really goofy <laughs> there, there are some fantastic cars built back then that's for sure in design well diego you've taken me on an awesome ride today i've really enjoyed learning more about you and this new book that you've written i want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the cars yeah listeners could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you rip off down the roadway in that ferrari super fast 410 well I would have to say that you should uh, follow your passions, like what I talked about before. Absolutely. Most important thing, follow your passion, follow your dreams. In this day and age, there's so many opportunities with online online resources out there to do exactly that. It's a different world. I mean, the future is here. Yes, absolutely. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and get their hands on a copy of this new book? I am selling the book 
on my own. I sell signed copies for retail price, and the website for that is www.sellingmuscle.net. And of course, you can get it from the usual outlets like uh, Amazon, but it's not going to be signed. And the email for uh, re- regarding the book is Diego, D-I-E-G-O, at sellingmuscle.net. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything Diego shared today again on his Cars yeah show notes page at carsyeah.com slash Diego Rosenberg, or just type Diego. He's the only Diego who's been a guest here on the show in the search bar, and his show notes page will pop right up. And again, Thanks to Diego and the publishers at CarTech. One lucky Cars yeah subscriber is going to win a copy of this very cool book. So simply go to the Cars yeah website, click on the free book button. I'll send you my free ebook, the filler up book, which is kind of cool. And I'll pick a winner from the subscribers and uh, we'll get that off to you. Thank you very much for doing that. And thank you also for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars yeah listeners. Until we talk again. I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much for the invite. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.